I was two years old when Mao's Cultural Revolution started. I see the writings on the wall. I see this trend. We are using identity politics to divide citizens. And I see families don't talk to each other. During the shutdowns, they even report their neighbors for having parties in their homes. I thought I was having PTSD. I will literally wake up in the middle of light. I sat down with Lily Tong Williams, a survivor of Communist China's Cultural Revolution and now a congressional candidate for New Hampshire's 2nd District. Under Mao's Cultural Revolution, they can find something you wrote, something you said many years ago, and then demonize you as oppressor. You lose your job, you go to camps, you go to struggle sessions. Have you seen the struggle session in America today? It's called Less Whiteness Training. This is American Thought Leaders, and I'm Yanya Kellek. Lily Tong Williams, such a pleasure to have you on American Thought Leaders. Well, thank you for having me. Pleasure's mine. Lily, let's start with your early life. I mean, this is so important to me to have these stories. You actually grew up in the Cultural Revolution in China under the Chinese Communist Party. So let's start there. Well, I was born in Chengdu. Um, which is the capital city of Sichuan province in southwestern China next to Tibet. And my parents were illiterate uh, workers. They worked for state factories six days a week. And uh, how primitive the living condition was, people cannot imagine today. And uh, eight families all worked for my dad's state factory and shared one bathroom, <laughs> eight families with children. And the bathroom is a, a big hole on the ground, then divided in the middle, so half for all women and half for all men and boys. One hole on the ground with two bricks that where you can go squat. <laughs> and uh, so it was very primitive. And my parents, because they were the poor workers, so we got a very little and food coupons. People have no idea when you live in a socialist, communist country, when economy was really bad, everybody basically was equally poor, unless your position is pretty high up in the Communist Party, which is only one party in China, then you get more rationing from, a f from rice to wheat to milk powder, and fabrics and oil and the sugar. I, I just remember I, my mom always told me I was a little skinny thin because I grew up on rice porridge. My mom did have milk for me, mother's milk. I mean, they were hungry too. So I grew up on rice porridge. I, I, I was a very, very skinny little girl <laughs> until I went to college at 17 years old. And, uh, uh, and uh, because my mom and dad worked for state factories and six days a week, so we didn't have time to do lots of other fun stuff. There was, life was all suffering, was no fun. And the politics is every day. Like we, we were next to a school where I went to school for later middle school and high school. So 6.30 in the morning, the loudspeaker come on. Nobody can sleep in. They ask you, get up, go to work, go to school. And uh, then we say red songs and, and uh, you know, I was two years old when Mao's Cultural Revolution started. And then my memory started basically when I was four or five was like peak of his Cultural Revolution. And uh, I was uh, in my grandmother's uh, neighborhood. My grandmother's neighborhood had this huge public square. And my memory started struggle sessions in the public square where people, black, so-called black and classes. You know, most separate people use classic Marxist theory, oppressor versus oppressed. Under oppressor, there are five black classes. Under oppressed, there are five red classes. I was red. I did not have to go to struggle sessions, but other people were black classes. They have to go to struggle sessions, be public and shame, to denounce their families, their ancestors, and the, some of them, I remember, look so pale because uh, they got inside the military truck and going to get the pub public executed. And I got so scared, like, oh, really? Those people are getting shot? That's what they told me. So it was very scary. My childhood memory was just like, a, it was a chaos. 
scary, don't understand, don't know the truth, and, but also don't know what to think. Because they, they don't teach you how to think, so there's politics in your face every day. So, and another painful memory I just discovered last year is somebody committed suicide, jumped into the 20-foot water well in my grandma's neighborhood. I just, some people say, come look, come look. So I went there looked. It was a liquid man's body floating on top of 20-foot deep water well. I, I got so scared, I just ran away. <laughs> but but it, I was told that if you have a tragic childhood memory, then you don't want to think about it. So I did not think about it. I even didn't know who he was. I did not ask questions. I just remember no water for a while. They had to disinfect everything. And until last year, because I was thinking about Mao's Cultural Revolution in the similarity with today's America, I asked my uncle, do you remember that guy in the water well? And I talked to my uncle on WeChat. He said, yeah, black family committed suicide. He couldn't handle struggle session anymore where people throw rocks at you if you don't apologize very well and you don't draw the knife, don't denounce your families and then you know they might even send you to concentration camps or or, or get executed. So that's my childhood. It, it's just like a, I don't know what else I could discover later because uh, maybe I need to go to sit down with some you know therapist to, to dig into my memories. Very painful sometimes to think about it, you know. Well, it's fascinating because you were actually one of the red classes, which means you were the, you know, ostensibly the oppressed. You were the, you were the good guys, oppressed, for lack of yes. a better, in, in this structure that the Chinese Communist Party created. The Chinese Communist Party has this narrative that says it lifted millions of people out of poverty. You hear that again and again as one of the great successes of China. And indeed, the standard of living compared to the Cultural Revolution is a lot higher in China now, mm -hmm. right? What, how do you respond to that uh, argument that the CCP Well, makes? that uh, I know the differences because we live on food rationing, share one bathroom, no privacy, and, uh, you know, just hungry all the time. And so I know the difference. When Mao died, I was 12 years old, 1976, China's economy was about to complete collapse. People have no idea, 40 million peasants who supported Communist Party's communism starving to death during the 50s. So 1978, when Deng Xiaoping came to back to power to say we need to have economic reform, he was not a very ideologue. He just said, let's get, let's get some people rich first. And uh, um, so they basically let the peasants to grow food on their, you know, little land. And of course, land owned by the state, but they, in, instead of people's communes where people had no food to eat and all, you know, um, communist way. And, and the Sichuan peasants, I heard, actually start to grow food. And so say, hey, we, we don't want to practice anymore, but uh, here's your land, here's your land, let's divide it up and you turn percentage up to the government as a form of taxes, and then you keep the rest. That just gives people incentive to work hard because they can keep a portion of that for themselves. They don't have to be starving to death. So this worked very well, and Deng Xiaoping heard it. It's supposed to be cracked down because that's not legal, but he said, actually, they didn't do it. They said, monitor it. Then later, basically, they did this reform. That's what gonna do it, because it worked. We had more and more harvest. Instead of under Mao, people were starving to death. And the uh, central planning, then, of course, Deng Xiaoping did more reform later, allowed the, you know, little bit of private industry and private business, private properties, uh, which all demonized under communism. And, and uh, China boomed. And the uh, people not just more than food, but uh, they had their condo, they had their own company, factories, and uh, 600 million Chinese lifted out of poverty, not by the party, but by their own hard work and their human nature to pursue prosperity and the freedom. So I do not buy into parties' narratives. Chinese people are successful all over the world. If you just leave them alone, 
they know how to do math, they know how to work hard, they know how to cook and clean and do uh, IT work, do restaurant. It's like a, they prosper. It's human nature if you just get out of the way. So free market capitalism a little bit and coupling with the decentralization of some economic policies in Beijing lift the people out of poverty. So I don't buy their propaganda. It's all gives them the credit. They never give Chinese people and the small business people enough credit to say, you know what, we were starving to death. Oh yeah, thanks, just getting out of the way. Now we can actually feed ourselves and, and pursue happiness in life. So I don't buy into their propaganda at all. I think human beings are naturally desire for freedom, for prosperity. They know how to do it if you just leave people alone. It's almost like a kind of Stockholm syndrome, right? Because I guess it's so interesting how you frame it, right? I mean, yeah, if people are starving to death and you create a situation where they're no longer starving to death, I guess they may be somewhat grateful for that, right? Well, I think... Uh and that's their talking point. You know, of course, people would rather to have a better life than being hungry all the time and, and you know, no, no security feeling at all. And uh, I supported the economic reform, but I just wanted, to, when I was in college in the 80s, I liked to see political reform as well. Because I feel, because I was in law school, rule of law means you got to have a political reform because uh, Economic reform, no matter how rich you become, if you don't have a political reform to protect your private property, then you don't have guarantees. Look what happened to today's Chinese billionaires, right? There's no guarantee you'll be billionaire forever. You can lose everything overnight. So political freedom, economic freedom have to go together. Very, very interesting. So, you know, I'm going to go back now to this idea. You were part of the red classes, right? So i.e. you were probably a young pioneer, if I'm guessing you probably participated in all these youth, communist youth organizations. And, and I do know that you were, you know, a communist party member and you were serious about that. So tell me a little bit about what that's like growing up in these organizations. Well, when I was little, that uh, the best students in the or government schools get nominated by teachers to be young pioneer. And uh, actually, I have a story about that. I uh, wanted to become young pioneer so bad, and I was best students. I made 100% of all my subjects in academic study. They call the three merits politically, academically, and physically. So, so all those three areas, you have to score the best. That means we have physical education class, right? You cannot fill that class. We have a political, moral, character education. It's all about political stuff, and you have to comply, and you're not black child. You are disqualified to join. Both grassroots organization for students, young pioneer and regards, you, you know, you have to be qualified politically. And then I made the best grades, so I, I was so confident to say, I would be the first one to join young pioneer. You naturally, I'm a red child too. No, I did not. You know why? Because somebody reported to my teacher, my girlfriend reported to teacher said, uh, I was uh, too confident because I told her, I bet I will be the first one to join Young Pioneer. I was too confident. And my teacher called me into her office to say, we're not going to let you to join Young Pioneer because uh, um, you are not humble enough and you're full of yourself. Basically, I got criticized. <laughs> and uh, I just lower my head. And, and then she continued to say, this is a collective society. Your individual expression of confidence is a flaw. It's a drawback. You need to comply. You need to act and, uh, like everybody else. I went home very upset, talked to my parents. They supported my teachers. My parents are not educated. So I also learned a lesson at the age of seven. I could not trust my friends. I could not trust probably any family members during Mao's Cultural Revolution. You're supposed to whisper because you, if your neighbors heard you say something not PC, you, they can report to the authorities. Not, so, not PC, so that's not politically correct. Right? Not politically correct. Let's see, potentially can connect you with something like a black families because black families, they, you know, Look, who are the black families? It's uh, rich farmers, landlords, rightists, bad influencers, and counter-revolutionaries. Those are very subjective terms. So if you say something 
potentially against government, complaining even about party, you could be counted revolutionary. So, so I, I learned, okay, I'm gonna join Young Pioneer, I'm gonna keep my everything private, don't tell anybody, don't trust my friends, and I just go to school, make a good grades, and, and the long liver chin my mouth, you gotta do all the chanting, dancing in schools, and, and I proved to my teacher I was good. I joined the Empire one year later. In middle school, I joined Regards, and the high school communist youth, it's called a youth member, and in law school, in order to teach in law school after graduate from college, I had to become party member in order to get a teaching job in law school. So I went through all those four, you know, you know, party groups, and uh, thank goodness I I woke up earlier. <laughs> well, so but but let's start here. Did you believe in this? Did you believe in the ideology, or when did you start, or did you not? Oh, I believe everything. They control all the press, all the media, all the TVs, radios. I mean, of course. And then my parents' generation, uncle generation, all were totally brainwashed. And I believe that we need to eliminate black classes. They were the enemies of the people and the enemies of the state. I, I, I know one friend that she cannot join Young Pioneer because her grandparents own the land. I believe it. How, how am I going to know the truth? That's what I heard every day. Political stuff is in your face every day. And uh, I just wasn't happy. How come I did not get to join Young Pioneer first? I was so good student. And also, I was not happy that uh, I, I, I learned to be just uh, very cautious, self-censor, and don't trust anybody. But uh, then you, you, when you, the thing is, uh, when you say long live Chiang Mai long live party, 10,000 years, another 10,000 years for for, for so many years in, in the schools, when Mao died, that was the first time I had some brain left to ask a question in my own head to say, oh, how did he die? I, because he become like my God. I could see him talking to me, smiling at me from sky behind the cloud. And when we have to burn the in the wood to heat up the wok to do stir fry Chinese food, and I sometimes all of a sudden see his face in the fire. And all religions were demonized. We could not call ourselves Buddhist or Christian, nothing. It got to be, you know, the believer of Mao and the communism. So, so how did he die then? All of a sudden I thought he would live forever, like we say 10,000 years and double 10,000 years. Of course, it's not science, but we also did not learn real science either. Cancel science. Remember, Mao destroyed four olds, old culture, ideas, no, and social habits, and the customs. So everything was supposed to be destroyed, canceled. I did not know science. It's like I never questioned. Was he human or God? No, I never, I never even asked that question. Let's, let's talk very briefly just about the Great Leap Forward because this is one of these kind of one of the most sort of bizarre decisions, right, that cost, you know, umpteen millions of people their lives and created this, the, the, the complete poverty, extreme poverty that we've been talking about. Maybe just quickly share with the audience so, about so, that. So the Great Leap Forward was Mao nonstop. It's the one campaign after another, land reform, 3 NT, 5 NT, after 1949, founding of PRC. Then he started gravely forward because he wanted to have China's agricultural input, you know, increase a lot to compete with, you know, former Soviet Union. And because he and the Stalin had some, you know, conflict, you know, not good relationship. Then he told the peasants how to grow food. So basically grew them really close so he can increase production. Like how, how come central planners know how to grow food, tell peasants how to grow food. So, and, and, uh, so basically and when people turn over some food and there's not much left because all the crops grow too close, they died. And, and also lots, lots of other bad policies. So when starvation start happening in the countryside, the, the local officials will not tell Beijing because they're afraid. Remember, all the party leaders were promoted by the higher up. 
if they tell bad news, they might lose their job. They might not get promoted. So nobody dared to tell the truth. And it just continued to spread and until I'm sure eventually the central government in Beijing knew about it and they didn't do anything. I, I heard the Mao is very, very sociopath. You know, it's like, a, oh, we got lots of Chinese people, he once said. 10 million, 20 million die, no big deal. He never, when people kiss his hand crying to say, I, I need help. Like from mother I heard one time, he never even looked at her and smiled. It's like he had no emotion on his face. And, and so, oh, I heard before I was born in 1964, I heard my family talk about three years natural disasters. I said, what is that? And so people were starving to death, no food. But they all blame on three years natural disasters. They still do today. They never know the truth. How many died, they don't know. I found out how many died of starvation since I, after I came to this country and I wake up and start to challenge my past, my indoctrination, and read the books in this country myself, when my English got better. And I found out all my life in China was a lie. How was America portrayed in all these years in China? Well, when I read the, 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 some histories, and I, I was told it was the great famine was you know, caused by communist policies, by Mao's policies specifically. And of course, I did not go to K to twelve school here. <laughs> well, no, no, no. So this now you're reading, you know, sort of histories in a free country in the mm -hmm. U.S. But I'm talking about let, let's just go back to China for a moment. How was America portrayed in the Chinese telling and the Chinese Communist Party's explanation of what America was about? How it did? What was the perception? What was your perception of America while you were still in China before uh, you I came? I had no idea. I had no way to know outside world at all. We could not travel. We had no competing news. We were demonized. Actually, we were told to demonize America the whole time. Imperial America, Taiwanese people, we need to go liberate them. They were suffering and starving. I was thinking, oh, I'm, I'm really hungry. How could they be worse off than I am? I had no idea. I had no idea what the whole world think about China. We're totally isolated country. But you, but you did say they were demon. You were taught you should demonize Americans. How was what? Like why? What, what was the excuse? We we would chant. We we would hold our face up. We would say down with American imperialism, mm. and uh, and of course, if somebody has a relationship, like a family or friends relationship with Taiwan, uh, with Americans that you could be a traitor, that you would be counter-revolutionary, belongs to black class. First time I heard about America and know what America's about is after I went to college in Shanghai, after 17 years old. I had no idea what Americans think about China history until I come to this country, I get out of China. It, it's, it's a human tragedy. It's like, a, wow, how people could just not know the truth at all. Did you have any friends in the black classes? I guess one girl was because she could never be allowed to join the, um, like the um, young pioneer. She could never read, wear the red scarf because she told me, she said, yeah, my, my grandparents had some land, so they are black class. Mm -hmm. But I went to her apartment. They, they live just like us, very poor, <laughs> very primitive. And, and uh, so we suffer the same by them. But doesn't matter which class, it's just uh, after the communists take over, we all were equally poor. If you had some properties, like uh, some of my friends in this country, they were black classes, they lost everything. They say, well, the armies, the Communist Party march in and uh, kick them out and live in their courtyard, nice houses. And so they were just like us, poor red workers class, except they had to go to a struggle session. They could not join most organizations. And uh, I, I heard that, it's like, oh, I did not think about anything. He just thought, oh, how come you cannot wear the red scarf? You know, I, I was, but also I said, oh, you guys are bad. It's like sometimes you think they're, they're because that's what I was told. Well, so that, I, this is one of the things I wanted to get at, right? So, you know, the red classes were taught to think a certain way about the black classes, right? And of course, you never want to become the black class, right? 
So like this is this is what I'm trying to get at. So you're saying you you perceive these people as being bad. Well, especially the ones that uh, that we, we were told the indoctrination in schools, and I saw in the public squares. Every day you saw on like in uh, you listen to the uh, we did not even have TV right you very too poor to even afford movie ticket once a while so every day it's on the um, speakers loudspeakers in the classrooms the 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 teachers will tell us that and we have to go to every week ever since you are in elementary school we had to take called the moral education, moral character education, but actually it's, it's like the PC, political, political class. So everybody have to go there, then you listen to the basic the party teachers, all teachers work for this government. So the same narratives. And uh, um, actually I did not know until years later, my grandmother for one year was identified as a potential black class because of her first husband and uh, my real grandfather died before I even was born. When my mom was baby, she had to marry a second husband, which is like poor worker. So, but they want my grandmother to confess why the first husband died. Did he die as a county revolutionary killed by the government, or he died like my grandma claimed by his own people? My grandfather was the country outlaw leader in Sichuan Mountains. Oh. Yes, <laughs> pretty, pretty wild, right? I had no idea. And maybe that's where I got some of my brain from. And, and uh, so, so she was uh, so nervous to say, what am I gonna do? So she tried to comply. She went to struggle session. And my uncle told me somebody poking her every day in the back, confess, confess. What did your husband do? How did he die? So after one year lengthy investigation, finally they closed her case to say, okay, your husband died because his own man killed him. And not because my grandfather was county revolutionary. I mean, whole entire family would be classified as a black class. This is the first time I tell this story actually from about my real grandfather I never met. So I had a step-grandfather, which was red, so my grandmother was relieved, like finally we all read. But my uncle told me there's a one woman to keep poking her. Oh, I just, I feel so bad. I mean, of course, recent years I discovered that my grandmother had to suffer in silence for a year in order to protect our families. And she complained, she went through struggle sessions, she apologized, but she, she was smart enough to keep saying, no, my husband's not counter-revolutionary. His man killed him. He, she keeps saying the same thing, same thing. So they make her to write um, letters, self-criticism. All that stuff they want you to do, it's kind of it's like this terrible similarity I see today. And she finally came out clean. Otherwise, my life might be different today. Well, okay, so now you, you're, obviously you were very smart. Uh, you went up in the ranks, you joined the organizations, you became a law professor right and then somehow you know you decide to go to this place that you've been demonizing for a very long time so tell me how that happened what happens is that uh, i wanted to study law in fudan university in shanghai it's uh, it's one of the best top five chinese universities and uh, and i studied two years for the national interest exam i got picked by the um, department of education to attend law school in Shanghai. The reason I wanted to study law because I thought, okay, I want to search for truth now. Mao was a human being, that's why he died. I realized that. Mm. So who lied to me? Maybe we should not renown man to govern our country. We should have a rule of law society. I want to become that person who pushed for that change. I went to law school. Quickly I become lost again because they told me law is a tool for the party to use to govern the masses, super union model. It's not about equality, it's not about justice or liberty. So I become a rebellion teenager. I go to dancing parties, even though they had lots of rules, and dancing party was even illegal and banned, and dating was banned first year in college, 1981. But in 1982, we were going through cultural renaissance in China, 
and remember Hu Yaoban was talking about political reform, and uh, so all the department education regulation were gone, so we could wear blue jeans, let the hair done, go to dancing parties. Guess what I did? As a third-year law school student, I met an American student who was exchange student, and he told me about Declaration of Independence and the Constitution. My light bulbs came on, and the first time I heard the concept of individual rights, it's like an individual rights. Oh, that's something I can't even talk about. It's all collective rights, workers' rights, women's rights, and peasants' rights, never individual rights. And he told me, Lily, you're Chinese, you have yellow skin, and you're a woman, but you are created by your creator, God, and you have rights. It's not given to you by your government, by your party. You exist because that's just your natural right by being you, by being born this way. Oh, I just could not turn that off. So I said, oh, America is so cool. He told me more about America. And I said, well, someday if I have to leave China for a free country, America will be my place to come, a promised land. And that day come, I become faculty member. I was one of the six, five people, the first graduation class of law school to stay as law school faculty member. I got one of the job to stay in Shanghai. I did not want to go back to Sichuan. was a Western and still backwards. I want to stay in Shanghai. That's where I get to meet the foreigners, pick their brain to find out what the world's like outside of China. and. Uh, so when I become faculty member, and uh, I thought uh, that was my probably third awakening point. You have to become the party member. You have to go to every week political studies. We had a Communist Party committee in our law school, in every department, besides your academic dean. By the time when I think about there's no hope for me, I got to come to America. I got to leave China. I had to change my strategy. You need to get a permission to quit your job. You need to get a permission to go apply for your private passport. Otherwise, I could be stuck in China. So I must change my strategy in order to leave China. That's why I call it Free China. People even say, you did not flee. You come here legally as a graduate student. But they had no idea what the suffering I went through to plan my escape. I go to party meeting now. Yeah, 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 I support and I become active supporter and cheerleader again, say Kong Ba Yang, Kong Ba Yang. And then finally, I asked my boss, may I quit my job to go apply for passport because I got accepted by UT Austin, Texas for graduate school. I had to ask for permission. Oh, he put off until I proved myself, said, okay, and now you got to sign agreement. The agreement is a piece of paper I had to sign to promise to go back to China to serve my country after I came here to study to get a master's degree on my own time, on my own money. I had to find an American sponsor. I came over, I only had $100 borrowed. And I had uh, no family friends. I owe my professor $1,200. So I was in the hole when I first came to this country. But when I get permission to leave, apply for my passport seven times, you know what, every time when I went to Shanghai police station to apply for passport, they threw papers at my face. Why do you want to go to imperialist country? Don't you love China anymore? It's your motherland? I get this big nature. Don't say anything. And uh, I, I want to, I come back, I serve my country better. I just need to go to learn English and learn about, you know, um, have a higher degree on my own time and money, but I'll come back, serve. Can you have to just see all those lies? And, and, and uh, so finally, seven times later, I got my passport. Three times later, at the Ch uh, American consulate, I got my visa. You know, people were so excited for me. When I got visa, the line was so long. They touched my hair, trying to get some of my luck. Oh, you got a visa, you went food is already in the US. Because when you get a visa, that's, that's your legal ticket to fly out of China. People are so happy for me, and uh, I feel happy too. Even though when I come here, 1988, May 11th, it was two months before my 24th birthday. And uh, nothing, right, starting in the hole. 
But I was so happy that was like my happiest day of my life up to that point. So I have to ask this, okay? You mentioned how you know, America is being kind of demonized officially, right? By the Chinese Communist Party, by the teachers, and so forth. And uh, oh, and by the way, so you at 22 you were a professor, or did well, I get that it, wrong? Because uh, that's yeah. exceptional. When China just opened up colleges, they need a teacher badly. I see. So we were the first graduation okay. law school class. So we had a, we, they need a teacher. So we got a five out of six, 60 students all stay in the same law school to become like work staff or teacher. I see. It was a, just it was this particular Temporary. moment in history. That's very 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 yeah. interesting. Yeah, it's earlier, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so but so but there's all these people, America's being demonized, but there's all these people that are kind of stunned and kind of maybe jealous that you're going to America, you've got one foot in America. So actually it wasn't that demonized in their minds. Well, there's official propaganda, demonize America, demonize capitalism, demonize profits. It's all the traditional communists do, what they do, right? It's like our youth in this country also taught to demonize profits and rich people, capitalists, they don't understand economics and, and what is the best way towards um, freedom and the prosperity. So there's official narrative then all the people like me, educated, wanted to escape China, wanted to come to America to study because they want to have a better life. And, and they, I don't know how many of them went back or how many of them like me just desperately, I got to stay here, there's no way I can go back because I signed an agreement like two years later. I mean, like if I get my graduate degree, I'll go back, you know, or I will be kicked out of the party, I don't care about that, but they're gonna send my like a hukou, like a, an old personnel file, uh, to Chengdu. That means I could never even go back to Shanghai because I would lose my legal resident status to go to the best city in China, most wealthy international. That was tough because that means I had no, I had to make it in America. Otherwise, uh, I have to go back to Chengdu or something. So I come here, I basically just say, okay, I don't care. Um, how poor I am, I will figure out how to pay bills and how to learn English, how to get my master's degree and, and, and try my best how to stay here. So that was my plan. So I had a big smile on my face. If you see my picture, first thing in America at Austin, Texas airport. <laughs> That's, I mean, it's an incredible story. It's an incredible story. Um, so let's switch gears dramatically. Okay, because you've you made it in America, right? Obviously, so you're going to be in the Republican primary in New Hampshire. Um, so clearly, you're someone that's that's made it along the way, right? Um, one of the things that you've been vocal about is that you see some of the same trends. Not exactly the same. I'm not saying that, right? But you see some very disturbing trends that remind you of what you saw in China, what you experienced, and the, even the thought processes from what we talked about you know, privately in the past. And so I, I wanna start talking about that. Well, first of all, it took me 20 years in America to get rid of my indoctrinated mind. I did not come here to run for office. I did not come here to get involved with politics. I just wanted to come here for freedom, have a better life, just everybody leave me alone, right? I learned English, I got my degree, and I met my husband first night, we dated, and we got married, we raised three wonderful children. I worked for corporations, I got laid off, and then I started my own business. So 20 years, I was busy just living like regular, typical immigrant who came here with nothing, who had to start over at the age of almost 24. So I wasn't political, I even did not understand politics. But when I woke up, 2008, I noticed something, it's like a, there's a something going on in America I really don't like. How come uh, governments got really bigger, more intrusive, and, uh, and also they're using some terms, like a, a communist terms, and especially under, you know, when also, Obama become president, and uh, his rhetoric is, we got to fundamentally transform 
America? To, to what country? I came here for America. But they want to transform it. Now I notice socialist policies and uh, like today everybody is talking about equity, equity. How can you have equity which is equal outcome, which I heard in China before, without the government use a force to redistribute wealth? How do they do that? Why is everybody from corporations to universities and our you know, high schools and, and, uh, and our federal agencies, even include our military, Everybody is uh, proudly use this word, equity or DEI, mm -hmm. but the equity is in the middle. Mm -hmm. I, I have been educated students as a you know, victim of communism memorial foundation speaker for five years. I noticed our educational system have not really taught our kids history. And the horror of communism, evil of socialism, and uh, our kids don't know. Maybe that's why they want equity and they want the socialist policy. They want the free college and free health care and free child care and everything free because they're entitled to. It's a human right. I, I, I say, well, what's going on in this country? What are the learning classrooms? And our teachers even don't know, life teachers even don't know about what Mao did to Chinese people. How many people died under com communism in China? They have no idea. They know a lot more about Nazis and, you know, but not much about China. And last two years, I just got even more and more terrified. I see this rise of authoritarianism. We have a politician want to be our tyrant. They want to shut you down. They want to force your business close in the name of pandemic. And then mandate mandate the vaccine, mask, and if you don't comply, you can lose your job career, your business is not essential, you get a fine if you want to cut people's hair, and our schools were shutting down, churches were shut down. I thought I come here for constitutional rights of every citizen, how come they're doing this? And then I saw top-down statues, changing names of buildings and schools, and uh, burning, Looting, BLM founder said, we are trained Marxist. I say people chanting in Chicago last year, the real solution is a communist revolution. You see Antifa marching with all the Soviet Union flags and they carry mouse poster, Karl Marx, big, big poster. I really feel like uh, I'm relieving another cultural revolution and the critical race theory demonize so many people in this country by what? By being born white, by like something you cannot control, association. And uh, America is supposed to be systemic racist country, like what the Chinese government will tell me, will tell their people. It's like, but, uh, but actually it's going on all over the country right now. Teachers' unions want to teach critical race theory in all public school districts. So identity politics, five red classes under Mao and five red, and now it's a different oppressors versus oppressed. But to me, I have heard before, and the people might not know, I see the writings on the wall, I, I see this trend we are using identity politics to divide citizens and get our citizens to fight each other instead of united with each other to solve our country's problems. And I say families don't talk to each other. During the shutdowns, they even report their neighbors for having parties in their homes because they violate the restrictions. It's, I, I, I thought I was having PTSD. I will literally wake up in the middle of light. That's why I started to dig into my childhood memories of Mao's Cultural Revolution. What is going on? How come this is like a, the Cultural Revolution all over again? Well, so, so you know, people will say, will say, well, you know, during the Cultural Revolution, tens of millions of people died, were killed, died of starvation, and so forth. That's not happening here. That's not the Cultural Revolution. 
but destroy it for old. Well, yeah, not yet. They before culture, before before communists take full control of our country, not yet. That's why we gotta hold on to our Second Amendment. <laughs> and also, we need to exercise our free speech right now. We need not to be silenced and afraid to lose our jobs, careers, business. Because if you don't push back, who is there? Who is there to defend our liberty, our free speech, and to protect our children? and want to unite the country, don't want the socialists like people or even the tyrants like people to actually destroy America. You see the free world. What they did during COVID, to me, is mind-boggling. Do we still have a free world? Why are Western democratic countries taking communist parties' tactics and the shutdown methods from their playbooks? They trust their numbers, their official numbers, but in our country, they're canceling people because they're not politically correct on social media. And you can say something, do something 20 years ago, they want to cancel you today. That's exactly what happened under Mao's Cultural Revolution. Yeah, they can find something you wrote, something you said many years ago, and then demonize you as oppressor, black class, you lose your job. You go to camps. You go to struggle sessions. Do you, have you seen the struggle session in America today? It's called less whiteness training. I have a friend in New Hampshire just got fired because he's a white male in a school, even private school. He refused to go to training, supposed to say examine himself. You know, I'm a, I'm a white. Maybe, maybe I'm a I have a um, hidden bias. I'm a hidden. Racist. He's supposed to be like a, to go with the flow, right? He said, "No, I have nothing to apologize. I born this way, and uh, everyone is born equal in our, you know, um, country according to the Declaration of Independence. We should not judge people by the skin color and by the race, but that's what they want to do all day. So, what is the difference? Chinese were divided by classes, by political opinions, and by." the economic status. Here, well, and, it's by and, skin color, by race. And, and by their history. Yeah, right? by their history. Yes. So how could the people be demonized, you know, by something, especially if you're born white, you cannot control that. You're born into your white families by association, you cannot control that. By what you say, what you did, long time ago, history. When you were a child, when you were a teenager, when you were a young man, you know, it's like, this is not right. Everybody deserves a second chance. And uh, we should reduce racism in this country after civil rights movement to talk about unity, to talk about judge people, like Dr. King said, based on their individual content of their character and their merits, but not by their skin color, but we're doing the opposite. So I think a far right, a far left, radical left, there are only folks on that. Everything's racist. Math is racist in public schools and the, and, and the AP advanced placement classes are getting canceled because that's racist. And uh, the, the aging Americans who have a higher economical income, better even than white, and their children are getting discriminated again, you know, in college enrollment process by Harvard, by Yale, because there are too many of you. We need to have quotas for somebody else who is more oppressed, who is have darker skin color. Is that right? Cancel, cancel individual merits and meritocracy. It's also what Mao did during his cultural revolution. So basically, you're seeing that anything and everything can be sacrificed in the name of creating this equality of outcome. Equity. And, that's, and that is what you saw yeah, in or communist in China. So, this kind of uh, identity politics, it's very typical communist tactic to divide people, get them to fight each other. So, that's how you do cultural revolution. Look at what they're trying to do, right? America is a systemic racist country. So, what do you want to re replace with? Uh, should we destroy all the American old traditions? old values, old institutions, 
like a Supreme Court, they were making threats to Supreme Court justices and the judicial independence, separation of powers, rule of law is part of our American tradition. It's in our constitution. So we should change that and replace with what? And is that, is that a true democracy once you just replace all that? I don't think so. It's more dangerous. We have a constitutional republic. Our country is not democracy. Constitutional republic, that means you have a separation of powers, and you elect your representatives and, and the senators, but God, president has his job as executive, and the Supreme Court, other courts have their job. Judicial independence is very important to protect people's natural rights. But now they don't re respect that. And they will call out the people like us, we are threats to democracy. But who is the one who is attacking our fundamental democratic process and sometimes decided by independent judiciary? Do, do those people understand our constitutional republic system? Or they're just brainwashed, the young people, the social justice warriors, so brainwashed, they, they, they don't even understand. For example, they only talk about right now women's rights on abortion. Then they want to pack the court, they want to um, throw out this uh, Supreme Court justice decisions, and let the rule versus way going back to state. Going back to state, let the people of each state to vote to decide through their representatives. Don't you think that's more democratic? But uh, no, they don't want to support that. They want to seven, nine Supreme Court justices to codify that. So that don't make sense. And, the, and our young people don't understand history, even don't understand our political system. And the buying into social media, left media, mainstream media, narratives, and talking point. And uh, they don't come out of their indoctrinated mind to look at alternative media, alternative news source. Like they could watch you, our conversation like here. And uh, the thing is, though, to me, is very sad because it took me 20 years to wake up in this country. And uh, here, and I feel it's my duty now to have a conversation like this, to tell my stories and to get my message out in the whole country so our people, especially our young people, can listen to eyewitness story to say, hey, maybe we don't want to go down this path. Maybe I should have a little bit independent, you know, thinking and skill that's what your big head is for on your shoulder, is to think for yourself. If you want to shut up people, they cannot speak freely, they cannot think freely. Then you won't have solutions by all the brilliant people in this great country to solve the problems we face. So the, the, this right now, our American dream is under attack. You know, we, when you talk about inflation and uh, you know gas prices, and uh, so people are having a hard time then then you can be canceled. Our free speech is under attack. Our children are facing massive indoctrination in schools. I even don't know where those schools got their curriculums from all the lefty professors from somewhere and, and the teachers' unions. But parents have to really protect their kids by exercise parental rights and control now to say what they teach are taught. You know, and there's another thing I want to add. During Mao's Cultural Revolution, I was not allowed to dress like a girl, look like a girl, and uh, to even date. You know, if you let your hair down, wear pretty clothes, put the makeup on, oh no, you can get into deep trouble in schools. So right now you see, this is, they're pushing down transgender stuff into our school kids. What you do after you're 18, you're adult, you pay for your surgery, what you want to choose is yourself, your business. I respect that. I'm a libertarian-leaning, you know, Republican. That's okay. But uh, as a mom of three children, they're doing that in our school to teach our school kids, eight, nine years old, to change your sex forever. In Washington State, they have a bill proposed. I don't know if it passed or not. 13-year-old kid can make life-changing 
gender-changing permanent surgery from boy to girl, girl to boy, without parental consent, and the insurance company have to pay for it. What's going on in our, how about parents? Is, is that still common sense? And what if those kids suffer later? I mean, even Bill Maher, the liberal, said, when I was eight years old, I want to be pirate. I'm glad my parents did not take me seriously and uh, cut my one eye out, <laughs> make me a pirate. So we've got to have some common sense and, and uh, push this down to children. It's not age appropriate. But they feel like, parents, you have no say what we want to teach your kid. And when Florida governor passed a bill, it's called the Parental Rights Bill, and then left the media, indoctrinated all their followers. Don't say gay bill. Well, I never saw that name, gay, was mentioned in the bill. But the people who are not informed, who don't know the truth, they are used. I, I call those young people are used like me, like my uncle generation, red guards. Then later were set to countryside, educated, re-educated by peasants. So, so you support them, and you can still be later through under the bus. Do not end well. Do not end well at all. One of the hallmarks of communist societies as they progress that I've observed, and this has certainly been written about a lot, is that some of the people who are the most fervent supporters at one point become the victims of the system very often, the purists, the ones who disagree with the new policy, for example, because it isn't maybe even communist enough. Mm -hmm. That's something that a lot of people don't understand. Mm -hmm. Well, communists are famous for eating their own. And uh, I remember there were lots of people at the beginning of funding of PRC, and they bought into communism, and uh, they, they were so excited. They supported the Mao, they supported the party. Mao sold to peasants, and we will take the land from the landowners and we'll give to you. Of course, peasants loved to hear that because they were um, incited to hate their landlords and to have this entitlement attitude, I should have some too, why do you have so many, I have to work for you. At the beginning, some peasants said, well, my landlord's kind of nice to me, I don't want to you know, like, do this. No, we want you dick. They want to install hatred in your head. They want to, um, you to um, feel very jealous of you rich landlords. That's a Marxist theory. Explore workers for the rich people to get rich. So they supported that. So they all become you know, very active supporters. And guess what? When Mao took over China, he did a land reform. He did kill about one million to two million landowners in the country and seize their private land. But he did not give to peasants. He had a new idea. He changed his mind. And for our country, our society to prosper, we need to start people's communes. Land actually belongs to the people, but not your individual peasants. The land belongs to the people, means belong to the state. And it's a collective concept. Who are the people? People have power. Like today in China, right, they can sell you the land for you to use, to build, and then they make lots of money. So parents like, okay, like what choice do they have? You have no more power anymore. They don't need to rely on you anymore. And then you see what happens. People's commune, great leap forward, 40 million peasants starving to death. They could not even bake because you had to bake with your pass. You, you're supposed to live where your household registration told you to live. If you go to another village to bake, you can't get into trouble. You don't have the papers to travel. And you also see scientists, artists, and teachers, intellectuals, all support the communism for the ideal, what the communism you know, represents. Oh, equality, equity, and take what you need. We are a big family, you know, and the workers rule, all that. And guess what? Lots of those supporters later because they criticize, not criticize, even sometimes just give feedback to their policies. Then remember Mao had a campaign called the Net 1000 
flowers, oh, 100 flowers to bloom. So they, he invited the college students, intellectuals, to criticize party policy, give feedback. How can we improve? How are we doing to govern new China? And they did. They were trustworthy. Get on blacklist. Go to labor camps. My, my three uncles were urban youth, really guards generation. When Mao said, time to go to countryside, be re-educated by parents because they will become violent. No school to go to. After all the black classes were, were eliminated and Mao gained absolute power, purged his political enemies in Beijing. Liu Shaoqi, the president then, was house arrested, lost power. And uh, the general told Mao, the young kids are getting violent, fighting each other, you know. And uh, so sent them away to countryside. Mao did. My, my, my uncles went there with, without, without even finish high school, without a diploma, went there for 10 years. And they had to um, threaten the government with a massive suicide attempt in order to get attention to say, let us come back to our home in the cities because we were suffering. You know, you promised we just go there for a while then come back. And uh, so finally, they come back, but their parents had to retire in order to give a job to them. Otherwise, don't have a job, you cannot come back. And if you're married to a local girl in the countryside, you cannot come back because your household registration now will be in the countryside. So, so how do those uh, really guards feel today? They're in their 60s, my uncle generation. So no skill, no education, and some were smart enough to start a business during the economical reform and they made the good money, become rich, but lots of them now they're retired. They don't have much. They just live on their little retirement income. But lots of them still don't think this way. They don't know the truth. And they talk about their past as if it was like, oh, you know, here this and that. And they, they don't know what caused that. They don't know. My uncle was very, very bitter about it. Because he went there, my favorite uncle, out of three uncles, and, and, and he went there at 17, come back 27, had to ar arrange a marriage to marry somebody in the cities and have one child. What a waste of time, he said. I, I witnessed one girl in my courtyard, came home crazy from countryside. All those red guards supported the mall. Yeah, long never check my mall. Yes, let's go to countryside. We'll get paid by the government salaries. Yeah, hard neighbor camps, and one girl went there, come back crazy. She was sick. She was blowing bubbles, and the uh, eyes were like, uh, I, I saw her, and her mom said, we don't know what happened to her. She will not go, no longer go back to the countryside. There's a movie called uh, Xiu Xiu, the Sandang girl, talk about a Chengdu girl just like me, went to Tibet as part of a mouse down to the mountain campaign. Oh, what a tragedy story. And horrible stories happen to those little girls and the boys. And uh, yeah, my warning to today's young people, social justice movement, social justice warriors, please study, study real history, what happened to Red Guards. Well, and so this is, you know, as a final question, this is kind of what I wanted to ask you, and not just to the young people, but so what is your message to Americans in general? based on your experiences, and you know you've obviously painted a pretty vivid picture and your concerns, but maybe spell it out. Well, as a, see, as an immigrant who come here with nothing, who, America was my promised land. In my eyes, America is the most uh, exceptional country. I don't think where else I could go that I can have a three home business today and have a financial freedom, wonderful family, and successful, and be able to run for US Congress. Tell me another country I can go to do this. And I, I don't want people focus on Americans' imperfections and problems. We do have problems. We're not perfect. No country is perfect. But can we just be united as American citizens? to come up with solutions. We have lots of brilliant people, brilliant mind, intellectuals, and business people. We can solve our problems if we just stop 
this division and stop this communist tactic, equity, equity. I don't want another cultural revolution happening here. I don't want to live in a socialist country. China later called themselves from communist to socialist country. But look at what's happening today's China. People were suffering lockdowns, no freedom, subject to food rationing, and cannot even travel. Social credit system tracked them. And uh, I, I see the writing on the wall. I feel it's my duty as a new American citizen to warn people, to say, oh, this is wrong. We are going down this path very fast. And there are lots of elected people into US Congress are socialists who push for socialist policies. And the people support them because they like the government take care of them. For me, I have lived in China. I have lived two years in Hong Kong. It's sad to say what happened to Hong Kong. And I want the people to rely on ourselves, personal responsibility, rely on our nuclear families, extended families, and our local communities and private charities. Do not rely on government because government actually has a tendency to overgrow and to interfere with our daily lives. And when they promise you free stuff, remember it's never free. It's paid by somebody else. And it's used their force to tax, to redistribute wealth. And now they're printing money out of thin air. That's why inflation is high, gas prices so high, because their policies are actually destroying our American dream, which is, to me, freedom and the prosperity. So my last you know, words to people is that, you know, let's be united and let's be kind, be nice to each other and uh, have conversations. If we disagree, let's disagree respectfully and then we continue with our American way of life. And, but America is uh, the exceptional country and I hope America will stand up for freedom and, and for you know, free market capitalism, still always as this uh, shining and city on the hill for freedom lovers all over the world. Oh, Lily Tong Williams, it's such a pleasure to have you on the show. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you all for joining Lily Tong Williams and me on this episode of American Thought Leaders. I'm your host, Yanya Kellek. Thank you.